Chapter 2 and verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We've been talking about the pattern, the teenage pattern of Jesus. Of course, having a pattern is helpful. You might look at, you might look at something, um, something like this block of wood here, and you might look at it and say, well, I have an idea of how long this stick, for lack of a better term, how long this stick is. I know exactly how long it is until we take a pattern, all right, a measuring stick. Place it on the measuring stick. We place it on what we're trying to measure, and we see what we're trying to measure. We don't know where we're at until we take a pattern and we apply the pattern. And why patterns are helpful in our lives because we don't know exactly where we are spiritually. We might look at ourselves and say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. Especially when I use improper measuring methods like comparing with other people, all right? We compare ourselves amongst ourselves, we're not wise. And we say, well, how do I measure up with Josiah over here, you know? You know, he's making me look pretty good because <laughs> I do this better and I do that better, whatever. But he's not, he's not the, the pattern, he's not the measuring stick. God's word and the Lord Jesus Christ is our pattern. The pattern helps us to know where we are and helps us to know where we need to go uh, and what is still needed in our lives. And so we've talked about this pattern uh, all throughout this week and I trust it's been a blessing to you. But we saw that we first looked at the foundation of the pattern, all right? This is the, the growth of Jesus Christ after he's already mastered the, the idea of submission and obedience to parents. That's where everything gets started. And if you don't have that, all of this sort of falls apart. So that's elementary level. I'm trusting that you've dealt with that and uh, uh, um, you're in a good place with your mom and dad and obedience and submission to them. That's the foundation. Then we saw the key to this pattern in verse 52. Jesus increased. He increased. All right. And that, that, that key helps us. Now, we understand that that uh, um, we're at different places, and some of you are at different ages, and we have, you know, high schoolers and seniors, and we have, uh, you know, new seventh graders, junior high uh, kids. So there's there's a great difference between the two. There's a lot of growth and development uh, for those of you who are seniors. There's a lot of growth and development you went, you've gone through in your time in the youth group, and so we're all at different places. But the encouragement, the encouragement that we should take from that is there's room for growth. We can all take a step forward. We can all increase. We can all draw closer to God. And so we began looking at these areas. We began looking at wisdom. We increase in wisdom by increasing and growing in our ability and willingness to base all of our thoughts, our actions, and our decisions based upon the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God. Wisdom is knowing how does God want me to live. And so we're growing in the ability and even the willingness to take what we know, the knowledge and understanding that we have, and apply that to how we are living. And Jesus grew in wisdom. He increased in wisdom. And then yesterday we talked about how Jesus increased in stature. And stature equals maturity. 
Alright? Uh, maturity is the idea of growing up. And we talked about four areas that we are growing up. We're growing up in our speech, how we talk. We're growing up in our understanding. Alright? Having a biblical uh, foundation, a biblical basis for why we believe the things that we believe. Biblical convictions. We're growing up in our thoughts. Alright? Our thoughts. Our thinking. We're not sloppy. In our thinking, we're not like the, the, the guy that Peter described, all right, where he just got everything hanging out, all right? He says, gird up the loins of your mind, be specific, be sober in your thinking and what you're allowing your mind to do, be, be sober. Uh, and then we're growing up in discipline, discipline, um, in that area of temperance. And I don't know why I didn't, just, I didn't uh, think of this yesterday, but thinking about discipline, I would call the four key areas, the four foundational areas in our Christian life, we call them discipline, Bible reading, prayer, witnessing, fellowship. We call those disciplines. Do you know why that is? Okay, alright. And it takes discipline in those areas. Everyone should and it takes discipline. And I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we get the idea that um, those things just sort of come automatically and easy when we're saved. It's kind of like, I, I, I get saved, I make a profession, now I want to have my devotions, and I'll always have my devotions for the rest of my life. That way. We have to actually grow in discipline. It takes some effort. It takes, remember we said, discipline is telling your body, no. Telling your body, go, that means I want to do this. Now, if you're saved, you have a you have a hunger for God's word, and you say, I want to be reading God's word, I have a spiritual desire, but you're still gonna need the discipline to tell yourself, I want that body, no to the alarm clock, go to getting up, opening God's word, and getting in there. It's gonna require some discipline. Discipline. And that will also involve telling your body low because you're going to need to be able to get the sleep that you need. Right? Even thinking about it the, the, the day before and just saying, I need to, there's some things I could do to entertain myself, but I know I want to be able to get up tomorrow morning, spend time in God's word. And that's just one illustration. So I'm going to need to, to get to bed early and do that. Very practical things, but growing in discipline, that area of stature, that area of maturity. Now we reach this third area. Jesus increased in favor with God. Favor with God. Let me give you a title, okay? Um, and I'll, I'll explain why I use this title as we go along. But we've been talking about growing, growing in wisdom, growing in maturity. Today we're going to talk about growing in dependent obedience. Dependent obedience. And both of those elements are key, and I want to develop that as we go along. All right, so first of all, let's define favor with God. What is this idea? What, what does it even mean to have favor with God? And we'll need to do that before we can understand how do I increase? How do I grow in this area of, of having favor with God? Well, the, the word favor is the idea of, of that which brings goodwill. So if it's something that is bringing favor to God, it's something that brings goodwill to God. It's something that brings loving kindness to God. And here's a key word. It's something that brings pleasure to God. In other words, we could say it this way. Favor with God involves pleasing 
God. Favor with God involves pleasing God. And this is a theme that we see in the scriptures, in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, when we read that verse to you, it says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Paul's saying, I'm beseeching you, brethren. I'm exhorting you. You, you, you need to be encouraged. You need to be challenged. You, you, you need to be pushed a little bit, uh, besought to please God. And not just to please God, but to abound in pleasing God more and more. And that's what he's trying to say to the Thessalonian believers. And that's what we need to hear even today. We need to abound. We need to grow in pleasing God. Here was something interesting that I found. This word, favor, increasing in favor with God, the word favor is translated most often in the Bible as the word grace. In fact, it's translated grace 130 times, whereas it's tra translated favor only six times. All right? And so that can kind of help us get the flavor of the word. And, and in no way are, are we saying, and we don't look at those things saying, well, you know, I think they used the wrong word in translating. No, what, what that can do is kind of give us the, uh, a, a more rich color to the word favor. And if you look back at verse 40 of Luke chapter 2, remember that other summary statement? You notice what that verse says. It says, the child, this is Jesus, grew, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and then notice this, and the grace of God was upon him. And that's basically the same word. It would be very similar to saying, and the favor of God was upon him. And so that word favor is closely aligned with grace. And we're going to develop that as we go. All right. So there's going to be some deep thoughts. So if you just stay with me, all right, we're going somewhere with this. But that leads us, before we dig any further into that, that leads us with a, to, to a problem. And that's number two, the problem. So we define, the, we define favor with God, but there's a problem in finding favor with God. And pleasing God. What is that problem? Do, do you have the capability to please God on your own? Who are you, and maybe some of you, hopefully a lot of you could say, who were you before you were saved? Apart from Christ, outside of salvation, who were you? Let me give you some ideas, all right? So this, so, so we, we're, we're talking about, all right, I want to find favor with God. However, I'm starting off over here in this area. And this is what we're talking about, all right? On your own, on my own, I am lost. Jesus said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. So instead of naturally finding favor with God, I'm on the opposite side. I, naturally, I'm lost. In Isaiah 59 and verse 2, we're told that our iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. We're talking about the exact opposite of favor with God. 
We're over here. We're, we're lost. We're separated from him. On our own, we are unrighteous. Romans 3.10 tells us there's, there's not righteous, no, not one. Psalm 53 and verse 3 puts it this way. Every one of them, that's every one of us, is gone back. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We could illustrate this with you. Think of the most filthy, disgusting thing um, that you can. And now, you know, um, you know, or do you want to be associated with that? Does that have, does that have any of your favor? No, you want, you want to be as far away from it as possible. It's gross, it's disgusting, it's filthy. Or in God's eyes, it's unrighteous. On our own, this is who we are. On our own, we are enemies of God. Colossians 1.21, you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. This is who, and of course he's talking to believers, so he's saying this is what you were. Outside of Christ, this is who you are. If you sit here and you're, you're lost, you're not saved, this is who you are right now. You're filthy in the eyes of God. You're lost. You're unrighteous. And as a result of that, you're condemned. And that word condemned is a strong word. John 3.18, he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, the case has been heard. All right? The, the, the prosecution has presented their case. The defense has presented their case. Uh, the, the arguments are over. The case is closed. You're condemned. The judgment has already been placed upon your head. You're condemned. It's just a matter of time. And that's why he uses that term. You're condemned already. This is who you are on your own. In Romans 18, we're told that on our own, we are under wrath. All right? So not under the favor of God, but we're under wrath. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is who you are. This is who I am. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you think of the wrath of God as a thing, as this dark cloud, and it is literally sitting on your head. It, it, it abides. It's sitting on you. This is who you are apart from Christ. Apart from him, you're, you're headed for hell. In 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, we're told that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God. And have not obeyed the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 16, 16, we're told that on our own, those that believe not shall be damned. you in our home we don't allow our kids to use that term the way the world does because it's used flippantly without thought the word damnation is very strong and if you sit here in this room this afternoon and you are lost you are not saved you can literally take that word and add your name to it damned so and so that's the condition you're in Apart from Christ. Back to our subject then. How in the world. 
How in the world can we experience the grace, the help of God? We're not in a good place. I know most of you are familiar with the, the message of the gospel, that when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And now there's a responsibility for us to receive the gift of salvation that's offered. But how do we do that is, is my question and my point. And here is just a really neat a truth that God brought out in studying this. How do we access God's saving grace? Every one of you probably has this verse memorized. Ephesians chapter 2. Get with me. For by grace are you saved. Next two words. Through faith. So we gain access to the grace of God, the favor of God, through faith. And in salvation, we gain access to the grace of God through faith and believing in, in, in the, the, the sacrifice that Christ has, has made on our behalf by obeying the gospel and saying, that's for me. I accept that. I need that. I want that. I receive that. And at that point in time, we exercise faith. And in exercising faith, we are naturally turning away from what we used to believe is, was going to make us right with God. What we used to pursue after, what we used to follow, we're turning to God from, from idols. And we're experiencing salvation. That's where the favor begins. That's where everything starts. Okay, but... We understand this is a place where we are, that Jesus wasn't in this place necessarily, okay? He didn't need to be saved like you and I need to be saved. So in order to get to the same starting place, it starts with salvation. And I know there's some of you in this room who you, you, you know that you're not saved. And I want to plead with you with everything, every fiber of my being. This is a description of what we looked at is a description of where you're at. In a good place. It's not just a flippant, you know, I'll get that figured out one of these days. No, this is serious business. Let it, let it uh, strike a chord of fear in your heart. Let it bother you. Let it convict you. Let it challenge you. Let it drive you to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing preventing you from being saved today other than you. Experience that grace through faith. All right, now you're at a place where you can begin to increase and grow. We now talk about examples of finding favor with God. Some examples. And of course, our ultimate example of this, our premier example, we'll look at some others, but our premier example is none other than Jesus. And this was fascinating to me. Go ahead and find John chapter 5 and verse 30. I want to show this to you. Because this is really interesting. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Jesus increased in favor with God for two particular reasons that he details for us in this verse. John chapter 5 and verse number 30. So find that. And then I want to volunteer to, to stand and read that. John chapter 5 and verse 30. I have a volunteer. Anthony's going to stand and read Follow along with him because we're going to dig into this verse a little bit. John 5, verse 30. This is Jesus speaking, okay? What does he say? I can of my own self do nothing. 
Two elements here. Jesus says, I can of my own self do nothing, which is quite an amazing statement. We pointed out earlier in the week that um, we believe in the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. He was 100% God, 100% man. But here he, Jesus is saying, I can't do anything on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. We'll look at a couple verses later, talk about how uh, Jesus lived in dependence to the Father. But then he says, because I seek not my own will. There's number two, the second element. But the will of the Father which hath sent me. So how did Jesus increase in favor with God? Number one, he increased in favor with God because of his dependence on the Father. This is the idea of grace. All right? Remember we said favor is the same idea as grace? This, this depending on the Father, this dependence upon the Father is the idea of grace. Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. In John 14 and verse 10, uh, Jesus says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Jesus said, You've seen what I've done. You've seen the words that I've, I've spoken. You've seen the deeds that I've done. It's not me. It's the Father who dwells in me. He, do, he does the work, or He doeth the works. This is the idea of grace. After we're saved, there, there's, there, there are, uh, uh, there's evidences of salvation that come out in our lives. There's fruit of salvation that should be a part of our lives. But as a believer, we don't stand and take credit for that. That's not because of us. It is because of God's work in us. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. I mean, if there's anyone who, who could stand and say, you see what I've done, you see the words that I've spoken, you've seen the works, the miracles, they're all because of me. If anyone had a right to, to say that, it would have been Jesus, right? But he said, no, it's, it's the Father, it's the grace, it's God the Father working through me. So Jesus increased in favor with God because of his dependence on the Father, the idea of grace. And then there's a second element. Number two, because of his demonstration of doing the Father's will. He says in John 5.30, the verse that we just read, I seek not mine own will. What is your will? What is your will? Someone tell me. Your will. You probably don't have a will, right? Will. Alyssa, what is your will? What you want. Jesus said, I don't do anything because I want to do it. What I do is because of the Father's will. So if your will is what you want, what is the Father's will? What He wants, what God wants. So in other words, we see the favor with God in the life of Jesus as he was dependent upon the Father and as he did, as he demonstrated, and here's the word, obeyed, as he obeyed the will of the Father in his life. Which is why I chose that in the title. We're growing in dependent obedience. Dependent on the grace of God. Obedience, I'm doing what God wants me to do and has called me to do. Dependent obedience.
Jesus increased in favor with God because he was dependent upon his father, grace, and because he demonstrated doing God's will, obedience. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John 8, 29, Jesus said, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I do always those things that please him. So as Jesus allowed the Father to work through him, grace, and as Jesus did the Father's will, obedience, Jesus increased in favor with God. See how that works? So that means that I can increase in favor with God as I allow, as I submit to God's work in me, his work of grace in me, and I do what he tells me to do, the Father's will. This works in salvation in this way, right? I, I can, uh, I can gain, fav- gain favor with God, because remember, I'm outside of God's favor. I gain favor with God. I can get to that place of, of grace as I allow the Father to do a work in me, and I obey God's will. This is the idea of obedience to the gospel. As I look and say, you know what? I'm in a bad place. I need help. I need grace. All right? I I need the Father to do his regenerative work in my heart. And so he said, this is how I'm supposed to approach him. And so I come to him by faith and I obey the gospel. And guess what? Now I get to receive all of the blessings and the benefits of salvation. This is where it all begins. This is dependent obedience. But that... Salvation, that point of salvation is just the beginning. It's just the starting place. It's where things get going. It's where things take place. Things happen. All right. Now I develop a pattern in my life of being, being dependent on God's work in my life and then obeying his will in me. Dependent obedience. And because of that, because Jesus did that, the father specifically vocalized his pleasure or his favor with Jesus on two different occasions. You know what those two occasions were? The Father vocalized his pleasure with Jesus. What's one of them? Adam? Do you remember what was happening at that point? Ah, there we go. All right, he got it. He, right, on, right on point, right? Exactly, all right? So it was John. John was baptizing Jesus. And as Jesus was baptized in obedience to the Father, as he came out of the water, the Father said in an audible voice for John to hear, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There was one other occasion in which the Father said, I am well pleased. Do you know what that was? On the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That was when Peter was like, hey, we should build some temples. And hey, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And the father says, no, 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 no. This is my beloved son. Hear him. 
as Jesus was obedient to the Father's will, it brought favor, it brought pleasure with God. And that is how he increased in favor with God. There's other examples in the Bible besides Jesus. How about Noah? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace, pleasure. He, because of his dependence on God, because of his faith-filled obedience, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The prophet Samuel, 1 Samuel 2, verse 26, describes him as a young man. The child Samuel grew and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Samuel, as he was dependent upon the grace of God and as he followed God and did his will, his, he obeyed God, Samuel grew in favor with the Lord. David is described in the same way in the book of Acts. Stephen was talking about him. And he says, David found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Because of David's dependence on the grace of God and because his demonstration of doing God's will, David found favor with God. He grew in favor with God. A New Testament example, and actually these are the only four, Noah, Samuel, David and Mary that are ever mentioned in the Bible as finding favor or growing in favor with God. Mary, the angel said unto her in Luke 1.30, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. So there's two elements in finding favor with God. First, it's depending on the grace of God. Second, it is demonstrating obedience to the Father's will. If you want to grow in favor with God, those two elements are going to have to be present. Depending on submitting to the work of grace in your life and then moving forward and stepping out by faith, obeying what he has told you to do. Which, we'll move on to number four. Then how do we grow in favor with God? And we've kind of already said that, but let me give you three very practical areas. Growing in favor with God, number four. And here's these three practical areas, three things that you can do. Number one, seek God's favor through time in his word. Do you know when you seek out God and God's word on a daily basis, do you know what you're saying? You're communicating this not only to God, but you're really communicating it to yourself. What you're saying is, I need God. Do you know what you're saying when you leave this on the table and you get up and you get ready and you go to school or you get up and you dig into your schoolwork or you get up and go and do your thing, whatever that might be, and you leave that sitting there, you know what you're saying? I don't need God. I don't need Him. I'll be fine without it. That's what you're saying. Now, God already knows that, the attitude of your heart, but now you're living that way. I don't need God. I don't need the grace of God, I don't need His help. I can do it on my own. 
Now, I don't know about you, that's a scary place to be. And when we go back now and think about the example of Jesus, if anyone could have said, I don't need God the Father, I am God the Son, I'm fully capable on my own. It, it could have been Jesus, but even he, in leaving a pattern for us, he said, I'm, I, I don't, what you're seeing is not me. What do we read there, John 5.30? I can of my own self do nothing. It's the Father. I need him. I'm in connection with him. And you're seeing these things because I am in connection with the Father. And if he's doing that, how much more do we need? that. Growing in the favor or the grace of God means that I seek his favor through time in his word because I realize, I realize I need it. I need God. I need him. Is that your heart attitude? Is that what's really going on inside? I need God or is it I need all these other things? I need to be entertained. I need to have fun. I need for everyone to, to, to like me. I need to be popular. I, I, I need to enjoy life. Or is it, I need God? The wonderful thing is when we, when we put ourselves in a position of need, I need the grace of God. I come to God and, and I say, God, I don't know how to do this day right. I don't know how to do life right. I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to do in the right way. I need you. Hmm. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. When we put ourselves in a position of need, God says, oh, certainly. You want the answers? Here's the answers. You want help? Here's help. I'll give you everything you need. You say, well, where was this before? Well, before you didn't, you didn't need it. You were good by yourself. So I just let you do it by yourself. That's what you wanted. But now that you put yourself in a position of need, we can work with that. Hmm. Seek God's favor through time in his word. Here's something else that will help you. Number two, communicate your dependence on God in prayer. I honestly think this may be the key element of prayer. We think of prayer is, as in ways that we can get God to do what we really want him to do. And in a sense, there is an element in which we ask for things and we have not because we ask not. So there is a sense in which we can ask things from God and he can, uh, he can respond to those needs and, and answer our prayers. So there is an element of this in that. However... Prayer is more about us getting to the place where we understand what's going on here isn't about me. I don't have the ability to change this, but God does. I'm communicating my dependence on him. God, I need you. God, would you help me? I'm about to take this test. Could you give me grace? Now, that's not a cover for I didn't do what I was supposed to do and I was sloppy and I, wasn't, I was undisciplined and I didn't study. And, but God, you can fix it all. It doesn't work that way. 
But it does say, I, I'm, I'm in dependence on you. I need you. Communicate your dependence on God in prayer. Simple things. Number three, then, pursue faith-filled obedience to God's will. How do we gain access to God's grace? For by grace are you saved through faith. We gain access to God's grace. And what is faith? Faith is I believe God, therefore I do something, whatever that is. I believe God and therefore I step out. I believe God and therefore I obey. Faith and obedience go go together. Pursue faith-filled obedience to God's will. Without faith and the obedience that faith produces, without faith it's impossible to please. There we go. There's the idea again. It's impossible to please him. Or it's impossible to gain his favor. Now, of course, this all starts with obeying the gospel by faith, but that really should be the beginning of a walk. It's kind of like the first time, but now that's going to be repeated over and over again in your life. We need, you need, to be increasing in favor with God. And we do that by faith-filled obedience and dependence on His grace. And when it comes to obedience, we're not talking about, you know, God's will in the ethereal, you know, in the future. Oh, I want to marry the person that God wants me to marry. If you have that commitment in your life, that is wonderful. That's great. That's way down there. That's God's will way down there. I want the career that God wants me to have. That's great. That's wonderful. It's way down there. It's God's will in the ethereal sense, but God's will doesn't work that way. There's the practical God's will today. If you're lost, how do you do God's will? You obey the gospel. If you're saved, how do you do God's will? Well, he gives you the primary step of obedience, and that is baptism. And then the the other steps, the idea of Christian discipline, whether whether that is uh, uh, being involved in in, in a local church and serving through a local church, whether that involves being in God's word and, and prayer. And God gives you some very practical things that you should be pursuing obedience to. And if there is no obedience, as long as there's no obedience, then we find ourselves like the sinner who is outside of the favor and grace of God. They're over here condemned, under wrath, guilty, you know, headed for hell, uh, damned for hell. I mean, God's grace is there. But they put themselves outside of that. When they obey the gospel, okay, now they get to benefit from that. Now they receive all of that. And it's the same thing in our Christian life. All right, God promises grace. He, he promises help. He, he, he wants to be at work in your life, but that's only when you decide to put yourself in God's favor underneath that umbrella of God's favor and you say, I want to obey God In every single area of life. And being willing to make that something that's practical. Not something that's years down the road, way in the future, but today. What does God want you to do today? How do you do God's will today? Obedience. Are you growing in faith-filled obedience? That starts, again, with salvation. Are you saved? Have you obeyed the gospel? And if you are saved, 
Are you depending on the Father's work in your life through grace and then obeying and doing the Father's will? This is how you grow in favor with God. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for demonstrating in your life the life of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. You demonstrated for us what it means to live in the favor of God. You demonstrated by your dependence on the Father and His grace. And you demonstrated with, by your obedience. And I pray that we would walk in your footsteps, that we would be like the believers in Thessalonica who Paul implored to abound more and more in pleasing you. I pray that that would be our heart cry. God, I want to please you. And in order to please you, I need you. I need your help. And as we do those two things, cry out for your help and step out by faith and obedience and pleasing you, we would grow in this area and increase. Would you do a work in our, in our hearts, we pray, this afternoon? Would you dismiss us from this place with some truth to meditate on and to apply to our lives? And we ask and pray this in your precious name. Amen.